Life with God is a series that we are in. Get your Bibles, go to the book of Leviticus chapter 9, if you would. Um, as you're finding your way there, let me just tell you about uh, our 32nd president. His name was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. FDR uh, was uh, getting pretty tired and wearisome of having to attend all these White House receptions that, that happen in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, he got tired and weary of them because, uh, well, he came to the conclusion that these receptions were filled with people who wore plastic smiles, engaged in empty, uh, vacuous conversations. And he just uh, thought that they were worthless. In fact, he was going to conduct an experiment. The experiment that he was going to conduct is he was going to say something outrageous and just see if anyone noticed. As he stood in the greeting line, as people were coming into the reception, uh, he would say something outrageous and, and just see if anyone even took notice of it. So he, he was going to attend his next White House gala reception. He was in the receiving line. Guests were coming in, uh, legislators, diplomats, and they're entering into this reception. And uh, as the first person came through the line, FDR flashed his big smile, stuck out his hand, and said to that first person, I just murdered my grandmother this morning. And the person responded by saying, outstanding, and moved on. The next person came, and FDR flashed his big smile, stuck out his hand, and said to that person, I just murdered my grandmother this morning. And the person said to, them, uh, said to him, you're doing a great job. And this continued as people were coming into this reception. He kept saying, I just murdered my grandmother. And he heard things like, superb, thanks for inviting me. I'm so glad to hear it. And it went on and on and on. Uh, there was, however, one foreign diplomat who showed up for that reception. And as FDR flashed his big smile, stuck out his hand and said, I just murdered my grandmother, the foreign diplomat sort of leaned in and quietly said back to FDR, I'm sure she had it coming to her and moved on. People get engaged in this routine of these receptions and they're wearing their, their plastic smiles, engaged in vacuous conversation, not ever listening. One, one uh, uh, biblical scholar who talks about this concept of holiness says that, that, you know, if you've been doing life with God, if you have been doing life with God and you have not heard him say something outlandish, something shocking or surprising, you have not been listening to him. In fact, it goes on to say that we have handled and heard holy things so frequently, so often, so much that our hands and our ears have been numbed, cauterized to this whole topic of God's holiness. And God, every once in a while, says something shocking, uh, does something stunning, and do we take notice? The story we're looking at today in Leviticus chapter 9 is one of those stories, one of those shocking stories where God will extend his hand and say, I just murdered my grandmother. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he, he does something very stunning. And will we be shocked by his holiness? If you've got your Bible, stand with me. I want to read uh, beginning in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23. Uh, give me a little context here. Um, the priesthood uh, in the wilderness is about to be established, and uh, there's been a lot of offerings. There's been an ordination ceremony of the priests, and now Moses and Aaron are going to bless the people. What you're going to see is God's presence show up, and then you're, what you're going to see is a couple of individuals who do something unscripted in which God then will pour out an unexpected result upon them. 
Leviticus chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle. And when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. God has just stuck out his hand, flashed a smile, and said, I just murdered my grandmother. He's done something outrageous. What in the world is going on here in this story? Because the temptation would be to sort of put on your plastic smile, enter some vacuous conversation, and I can't wait to see what the next chapter is going to say, and just keep moving on. What, what is happening here? Well, this is all about doing life with God. Let me just step back for a moment and help us understand the context of Leviticus as we've been in this, in this series. Leviticus is an ABC book in holiness. We, we learned that from the beginning. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a primer in holiness, a primer in holiness, and it's full of ABC's sort of C. Dick run, C. Jane run, C. Spot run sort of statements. And we talked about that. And the book, when you, when you pull the wide-angle lens back and you look at it, the book is really answering two main questions. And we, t- we talked about this and we did the overview. Here's the two questions. The first question is, how do sinful people approach a holy God? That's Leviticus chapter 1 through 17. What does practical holiness look like? That's Leviticus 18. It says chapter 20, but actually it should be to the end of the book. That, that's the two questions that the book is answering. We, we sort of answered a little bit the second question, and we'll get to that in the weeks to come. Practical holiness, the ABCs of holiness. Where do we start with holiness? Well, letter A. We saw this in chapter 18. It's all about relationships. Holy means to be a cut above or to be in a class by yourself. So the ABCs of holiness begins by being a cut above in our relationships. It also means being a cut above in how we handle our time and being a cut above in how we handle our resources, our finances. That's the ABCs. If you're looking, where do I start? Leviticus 18 through, through the end of the book, that's, that's the ABCs of holiness. It's typically not where we start, but that's where God starts. But this first question, how do sinful people, uh, sinful people approach a holy God, this is how we see the book of Exodus developing. The first way they approach him is that there's a specific place. It's the tabernacle. So we showed this picture of, of the tabernacle a couple weeks ago of how the tabernacle was right in the middle of, of the camp of Israel. And uh, there was an altar and a laver, and inside you've got uh, this candlestick, and you've got all kinds of, of furniture there in that tabernacle. This is where you approach God. God's presence is at the tabernacle. And then last week, Brian talked about the topic of offerings. And the people would approach God through offerings. They would bring offerings, burnt offerings, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and a guilt offering. And all these offerings are foreshadowing. They are a pattern 
for when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, and he offers his life as a sacrifice on the cross. He, he, offer, he offers himself as an offering. And a lot of times we focus on sin and Christ paying our, our sin penalty. That is very true. But he covered all these offerings when he went to the cross. So how do sinful people approach a holy God? Well, they go to the tabernacle and they bring offerings. And then when we get to our, our topic today in Leviticus 9 and 10, the way they approach a holy God is through priests. What's happening in Leviticus chapter 9 and chapter 10 is God is establishing the Levitical priesthood. When I, when I mean Levitical, it goes back to uh, Jacob's 12 sons. One of them was named Levi, and Levi would become a tribe, the tribe of Levi, and that particular tribe was chosen to be the priests for God, to represent the other 11 tribes before God. That's why it's called Levitic, Levitical, or the, the book is called Leviticus. It's connected to Levi. And so we have this, this priesthood that's being ordained. You, if, you re, if you go back and read more of chapter 9, you under, understand there's this ordination ceremony for seven days. They're doing offerings. Uh, God is teaching them about incense and oil and how, what to do and what not to do. And he's getting them ready. They can't even leave the area because if they leave the area, uh, God tells them that they'll die and, um, and, and so the final day comes, it's, uh, it's time for the priests to do their work, and the offerings are, are made, and you have all this, this sacrifice taking place, and then you have the presence of God comes. Most scholars believe it's, it's the cloud, the pillar of cloud that would be with the people in, in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud comes and descends on the tabernacle, and all that, that sacrifice on the altar uh, the meat, the fat portions, the, the, there's fire that shoots out from the cloud of presence and consumes all that on the altar. Now it's, it's a smoldering heap, it's caught up, there's smoke going up, and the people see it, and they give a shout for joy, and then they fall on their faces, which is the appropriate response, isn't it? That's kind of what happens when you have this confrontation with holiness. There's something attractive about it that much, makes you want to shout for joy, and then there's something scary about it that makes you want to draw back and fall on your face. That, that's what's happening here in, in Leviticus 9 and 10. And then Aaron has four sons. Two of them uh, have this unscripted moment where they decide they're going to take incense burners, and they're going to add fire to it, and then they're going to add some incense, and they decide that they're going to approach uh, the presence of God, and, um, and as they approach, um, fire shoots out of that, that cloud presence and then consumes them, and now they are a smoldering heap. They have been, been consumed by the fire of God, killed. Why? What's, I mean, we, we read it. It says that they offered the wrong kind of fire or, or incense, it's not like they introduced like prostitution in the temple worship. They just brought the wrong kind of fire. What in the world is going on here? It's like God has extended his hand, flashed a smile, and said, I just murdered my grandmother. What, what, what is happening here? Well, it's really important for us to unpack this because it has tremendous relevance for us. It's helpful for us to understand what's going on here, and it literally has to do with the priest's job description. See, the priests are beginning a new job. They were, they were just slaves in Egypt. They've been saved. Now they're in the wilderness, and so they're going to get a job description. 
And the summary, I mean, if you look at the primary, if, you, if it was a one-page document and you looked under the primary responsibilities, here's what you read. You'd find Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. That would be a great summary statement of the priest's job. In fact, what you'll see is as the people of God turn away from him, it's because these priests forgot to do their job through the centuries. Ezekiel, he's prophesying about the, the priests not doing their job in Ezekiel chapter 22, and look what God says. He says, your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is common. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath day so that I am dishonored among them. They didn't do their job. They didn't make a distinction between what was holy and what was common, clean or unclean. And then Ezekiel is going to prophesy about a future priesthood in chapter uh, 44, and look what he says about those priests. They will teach my people the difference between what is holy and what is common, what is ceremonially clean and unclean. Are you capturing this? Job description of the priest in Leviticus, distinguish between the holy and the common. You didn't do your job, you're getting exiled to, to foreign nations because you didn't distinguish to teach the people between the difference between the holy and the common. There's gonna be a future priesthood and they will distinguish between the holy and the common. That is the, one of the primary responsibilities of a priest. Now, let me, let me just help us understand this because what we have happening here is likely, and we'll break this down, this is why Nadab and Abihu find themselves in this place where, um, where they're not doing their job. And so uh, what we have here is what happens is we take whole, something that's holy and we make it common, we get, we get what's called profanity. Throw that slide up there if you would, Ron. We take something that's holy and we treat it as common. It's profane or profanity. Now, I know some of you in the room are thinking, I thought profanity is when you said words you weren't supposed to say. Well, there's something to that, but it's much bigger than that. When you take something holy and treat it as commonplace, what you're doing is profanity is taking something that is sacred or holy and treating it as common. Here's an example from this from the Old Testament. God did a creative work for six days. On the seventh day he rested, he called that day holy. It's the Sabbath. He said this day is to be treated differently. It's a cut above, it's in a class by itself than all the other six days. It's a holy day, it's the Sabbath. As Israel goes through its history, what they'll do is they'll take a holy day and treat it as a common day. They'll make no distinction between the other six days. And by doing so, it's profane or profanity. Are you tracking with me? That would be an example of, of profanity in the Old Testament. The, a holy day, anything that God calls holy, being treated as common is profanity. Now, Here's an example of what this might look like in our day. Um, and, and take, take the topic of sex. God, in his word, calls sex a, a sacred act reserved for marriage. Sex is reserved, it's, it's holy, it's, it's, it's something that's sacred. What you see in our culture today, and you see in a lot of cultures, is something as holy as sex being treated as commonplace. You, know, you look at, at any of the TV series that are on, are on TV now that are popular, and you, you know, eight out of 10 of them, at the very core, 
The reason they are popular is because they're taking something that's holy, sex, and treating it as commonplace, and that's profanity. And let, let me just be blunt with you. Think about the TV shows you watch and enjoy. Are, are you enjoying this? Because this, this, is, this was the priest's job to distinguish between the holy and the common. And let me get more blunt. If you're involved sexually with someone that you're not married to, you're committing the sin of profanity. If, if you are married and you're engaged sexually with somebody, that's adultery, that's profane. You're taking something that's holy and treating it as commonplace. I mean, go back to TVs and movies. I mean, Tree and I go see a movie, and we, we, if we watch a movie that doesn't have any sex scene in it, we walk out shocked and surprised. Wow, that was a, that was a great movie. Stunning. Why? Because we've been desensitized over time to this fact that sex that was once holy is now being treated as commonplace. So if you're not married and you're sexually active, it's profanity. If you are married and you're sexually active with someone else, that's profanity. If it's same sex, that's profanity. And this is exactly what the priest's job was to do, to distinguish between the holy and common so they wouldn't commit the sin of profanity. And you can do the exact opposite. So you can take something common and make it holy, and that's sacrilege. Okay, you can flip it all the way around. Take something that's common, call it holy, and it's sacrilege. And years before Christ was born, there was this Seleucid Empire, which was part of the, the dividing up of the Greek Empire. There was an emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes took a common animal, a pig, into the temple in Jerusalem and sacrificed it in a holy place on an altar. And because it's an unclean animal, uh, for the Jews, it was sacrilege. Antiochus Epiphanes took a common animal, made it, treated it as it was holy, and offered it there at the altar in the temple. Sacrilege. That would be an example from the scriptures. Here's an, exa an example from modern day. A, a, a lady by the name of Diana Duzer, she, uh, she was making a, a grilled cheese sandwich uh, a while ago, and uh, she made her sandwich, she held it up, she took a bite out of it, and as she took a bite out of her grilled cheese sandwich, she saw something remarkable. She saw a picture of the Virgin Mary. And here it is, and see if you can see. Okay, she took this, this took a bite out of a grilled cheese sandwich. She stuck it in a plastic box, stuffed it with cotton balls to keep it, uh, you know, airtight as possible, soak, soak up the moisture. And apparently there's been no mold for over 10 years. Some of you are still looking at that going, I don't see it. I can't see it. Um, she actually held on to this thing about 10 years and just recently sold it on eBay for $28,000. Some of you trying to pay your way through college? There you go. All right, make a grilled cheese sandwich. This is sort of a humorous example of taking something that's common, calling it sacred. That, that, that would be sacrilege. Someone paid $28,000 for a grilled cheese sandwich with a bite out of it because they think it's sacred. Now, we can kind of laugh at that one. You can take it down, Ron. I'm getting hungry. Uh, <laughs> you, we can laugh at that one. And, but the reality is, is that we do this in culture all the time. Not just with things, but with concepts and ideas. 
concept or an idea like freedom. See, in the U.S., freedom is a common thing. And there are, there are countries in our world where freedom is also common. But in our country, it's a very common thing. We, hold, we, we, we value the preciousness of freedom. In fact, what happens is we exalt freedom to the point where it becomes sacred and holy. To the point where things that are holy get lowered to the place of where they're treated as common. For example, we elevate freedom because we want freedom, and so what we do is we take the dignity of human life, uh, say someone who has the, the image of God on them, and we think it's okay that there could be pictures of nude pictures of them in magazines or on websites because we, we value freedom, so freedom of speech allows for people with the image of God on them to be devalued and demeaned. That's sacrilege. Or we, we hold up freedom because we love freedom so much it's sacred to us. Don't violate our freedoms. And what we say is that we can take the life of an unborn child and we lower it to the point we say it's okay to take the life of an unborn child. It's okay to, to, to have abortion happen. And that is sacrilege. It's elevating freedom to the point where we say that sacred life of a child is lowered to the point where its life can be taken. Now some of you are thinking, Fowler's getting political. I'm not getting political, I'm just getting biblical. That's just, that's just the way sacrilege happens. And it's insidious. Because they be, it, there's these things that we value so much and they end up being sacred to us to the point where we lose track of what is sacred or holy and what is common. And so we end up committing a sin of sacrilege. Someone was telling me one of the services, you can actually do both, commit the sin of profanity and sacrilege. That's called sacrofanity. I don't know if it's a real word or not. <laughs> but the reality is, the reason I lay that all out for us on what is profanity and what sacrilege is, because when we go back to Nadab and Abihu, and the presence of God has appeared at the tabernacle, and they approach the presence of God with the wrong fire or the wrong incense, what they have done is they've either committed the sin of profanity or sacrilege. They've taken something that's holy and treated it as common. Or what I think is probably more likely to have happened is they took something that was common and treated it as holy. And because of that, fire came out from the presence of God and, and smoked them, killed them. They were a smoldering heap. Now, why in the world would God go to such drastic measures over something as little as the wrong kind of incense or the wrong kind of fire? What is going on here? Is God overreacting? In fact, some of you may be here today, you're kind of just checking church out or checking God out, and you're saying, you know what? That's exactly why I don't believe in your God, because of stories like this. It, that's not fair. Why, why would God, that, that's just wrong. And we are amazed that God would send fire out and consume and smoke these, these two young men who were, who, were, who were coming with the wrong kind of incense or fire. The problem with us is that we are amazed at the wrong thing. We should not be amazed that God that he, he, he killed these two men. We should be amazed that we're still walking around. 
But that's what we should be amazed by because the reality is that I have committed the sin of profanity. You have committed the sin of profanity. I've committed the sin of sacrilege. You've committed the sin of sacrilege. We're still here. It's misplaced amazement. We, that's why I don't follow God. Look, the reality is there are people in the room who, are, who once were slanderers, once were gossips, who embezzled, who may have uh, had an abortion, who, who, who may have stolen, who may per, maybe spent time in, in prison, or, or maybe committed the sin of adultery. That's us. And it's amazing that we're not a smoldering heap. It's shocking See, the reality is, is we've handled holy things and heard holy things for so long that we've grown numb. Our hands and our ears are cauterized and we're no longer shocked by the holiness of God. Now, what do you do with a story like this? Do you, do you walk out of here and go, man, I hope I don't light the wrong candle? I mean, how do you apply a story like that? Well, here's a couple ways. Here's a couple ways. The first is acknowledging the reality that many of us have been desensitized. We've been bombarded to the point where what is holy is now common. We have been desensitized, and we need to be resensitized. You ever been to the dentist, been in the chair, and they're drilling away? And you had one of those, we love dentists, nothing against dentists. You sit in that chair and you have a, a memory of the, the dentist drilling away and he hits a nerve and you jolt and you flinch in your chair. And you're sitting in that chair and you got a tight grip on the side because you're wondering if you're going to flinch. I think the reality is we've been so bombarded and desensitized we've lost our ability to flinch. We watch shows and we don't flinch. We, we see stuff, we read stuff, we don't flinch. We need to be resensitized. And that's, that's one way we can apply a story like this. Another way is that we need wisdom because guess what? Now we are the royal priesthood. Once it was just a tribe, now it's everyone who's in Christ. And we need to distinguish between the holy and the common. That was the priest's job description. That's our job description. We need wisdom. One of the ways you get that wisdom is simply by reading the word. It's full of wisdom on how to distinguish between the holy and the common. So that'd be another way you could apply a story like this one. And one final way is to, to realize that one who was holy was taken to the cross and treated as unholy. There was one who was righteous who was called unrighteous. God sent his son Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ took the full hostility of his father that should have been aimed at us and we should have been a smoldering heap and he directed it all at his son on the cross. And to the extent 
that we can realize that we should be trembling before a holy God to that extent, then we can rejoice in the fact that we are not dead. We have been made alive in Christ because Jesus Christ went to the cross and saved us from the hostility of God. We are no longer enemies of God. We are a friend of God. And we can rejoice in our salvation. I, I think we need a fresh revelation of what, our, what, what salvation is. We have been saved. So we need a new sensitivity to what is holy. We need wisdom and a new appreciation for this gift of, this tremendous gift of salvation. And that'll help us in our life with God. Because he is holy. And he's called us to be holy.